When I was a teenager, I noticed that women were underrepresented and misrepresented in the films and the television that I watched. I could rarely find ways to relate to the women I saw on screen. And this was not at all some revelation. Women were calling this out long before I was even born. Shout out to Gina Davis. Once I started noticing this in film and television, I just could not stop noticing it everywhere in the media. And it really angered me because I understood that the media reflects society. And this reflection I was seeing was a reflection of something that I experienced, patriarchy. I think that as a young adult, I grappled with this from my own perspective, that of a white, hetero, cis woman, because that was a perspective I could identify with. Because I experienced sexism, I could identify it in the media. As I've gotten older, my community has expanded and I've seen how our media reflects more than just patriarchy. It's reflecting racism, homophobia, transphobia, ableism, and other discriminatory social systems. And for me, there's a couple of layers with this one. I'm a tall white cis dude with a kick-ass beard. And if we're talking about visibility, I've had no problem seeing myself represented pretty much everywhere. I remember growing up watching travel shows that were overwhelmingly hosted by white guys who did their adventuresome things or ventured into remote or conflict areas with really astounding levels of confidence. And even in films and in politics and television and advertising, I see myself everywhere from this perspective. But the concept of representation didn't even cross my radar until my 20s when I grappled with being queer. It was only then that I realized how homogenous representation was, particularly in travel. In fact, I would even venture as far as saying I took refuge in it in a lot of ways. Welcome back to Alpaca My Bags, the podcast where we look at travel through a responsible lens. I'm Erin Hines, and just so you know, if you like, you can go and support the show on Patreon. For just $5 a month, you can directly help us in making the show. Joining me this episode and the voice you heard just off the top is Zach Schrader. He's a longtime friend and a passionate traveler. And yes, you have heard Zach on the show before. In season one, he came on to chat with us about his experience as a queer traveler. And in season two, he joined me for an episode where we discuss perceptions of danger when traveling. Today, he's joining me to break down representation in the travel space. Welcome back, Zach. How are you? I am great. I am surviving and thriving so far. I'm excited you've decided to have me back. Maybe a little surprised. Oh, how could you be surprised? <laughs> You're our favorite guest. You're the only one oh, who's thanks. had a triple appearance now. Like, yeah. you should be very honored. Where's my pen? <laughs> <laughs> I know we need to mail you one. I have to say, though, I'm really bummed that we have to record this virtually because it's so much more fun to record in person. <laughs> I totally agree. I totally agree. Season four. Yeah, we always laugh because every episode that Zach has come on, like I am the queen of notes. Like I come to every episode with like at least six pages of notes. And Zach is the only guest who has ever shown up with an equal or more amount of pages of notes. To I am also the queen of notes. <laughs> I love it. So, I mean, I have like 
a lot of notes for this particular one because this is a dense topic. I think I'm looking here, I'm at like nine pages. I honestly felt like a little bit stressed about like getting everything we need to say into this episode, but we're going to do the best we can. And I hope that um, people take something away from it. I'll just dive in. In terms of travel media, I always felt like I could not find stories that I identified with. And I would say that I felt this way until probably my early 20s when I discovered this Facebook community that I'm sure a lot of our listeners will know. It's called Girls Love Travel. And it launched in 2015. It was led by a traveler named Haley Woods, and the group has grown like immensely. It now has over a million members. But when I joined, it was like right at the beginning. It was a really small community. And I felt super at home there because I could interact with other women who were traveling. And I saw that many of them were traveling alone, and they were really proud that they were traveling alone. It just felt like a very supportive space to talk about that, like to talk about how much we loved traveling by ourselves. So I connected with a lot of women in that group, and I also really loved how there were so many different styles of traveler that were represented in the group too. So overall, it was just like a very powerful experience to join this, this space on Facebook. And I found in it inspiration and confidence that traditional media, quite frankly, had not provided me. Because as you said off the top, like, I really have not encountered any travel shows um, that are hosted by women. I'm going to talk about one that I know of later in this episode, but I only found that show like quite recently. And I think like it's important to note this because when you see people you identify with doing something, you feel that you can do that too. And I feel like this is becoming more and more evident, especially in recent years, as, as we've seen media in general diversify. So Zach, have you had any experiences like this, where you've stumbled on a community that really empowers you, and it's because of that ability to like relate to other people? Uh, I mean, this one's this one's challenging for me. I, I know I've been on here before talking about, you know, traveling while being queer or the concept of danger and harm while traveling. I, I don't, wouldn't say that I necessarily look f for myself. Like I don't look for my own representation in travel. And part of that is what I, what I talked about off the bat is I'm pretty comfortable s seeing myself in a lot of ways. And I mean, I do on social media, I, I will look for, for, you know, certain hashtags I follow. We may talk about this later on, but you know, a lot of a lot of gay queer influencers i'm using gay intentionally because it's it's for me it's it's about gay men but even when you see that representation it's it's very white you know it's there's a lot of pretty privilege so it's it's a lot of um you know showing off your body which is great i'm totally you know body positive and, and everything like that but that's not necessarily the representation i look for so within you know within this trope or this this you know perspective of representation there's also some issues with it as well, right? And I'm sure maybe, Aaron, you could pick some of those out in the representation you see among women in travel too, right? So I'm at a stage now where I'm looking deeper in this representation. And I think if we're talking about representation, I think particularly the gay travel world can do a lot more to be more representative of actual gay people and queer people. I don't necessarily look for groups like you found what I like to do is, is learn from the source. And I will probably talk about this a little bit later, but you know, there's, there's the international LGBTQ plus travel association. Um, they've got a pretty big social media presence. They've got a website and, and they do a, a lot of good stuff when it comes to, 
you know, showing queer people traveling, giving recommendations on what to see and and how to see it, because that's really important to write how to see things as a queer person, how to actually travel. Uh, and other, I mean, shout out to other other sources of this information that I use. Um, no White Saviors, I know they've been on this podcast before. They're huge in helping me understand myself, how I represent myself as a traveler. Um, Brown History is another one, which is really great. Beyond the Backpack is a lot about um, traveling ethically, which I think is really important. And also, this actually was weird. This happened a couple of days ago. I got followed by the Alliance of South Asians in North America. And they actually do a lot about political and socioeconomic situations in South Asia, which I think is important for white travelers to know about. So, like I said, it's challenging. It's it's not necessarily me finding myself, but it's also me learning and using other representation too, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's like definitely a journey that I experienced in my like journey into like thinking about representation in the beginning. It started with, I want to see myself represented. And I feel like as I've gotten older and as my community has expanded, I've really started to understand like, it's not just about seeing white women represented. It's about seeing like intersectionality, like seeing different types of women, women from different economic backgrounds, women from different ethnic backgrounds. Like we need to see representation of everyone. There needs to be like nuance to it. I agree. And if you're, if you're going to look at things, I mean, I know on this podcast, it's kind of like an identity first perspective, very critical. It's important to, to think to yourself, how, how do my travel habits and experiences change things? And I think that's really important in all of this is how, how can I change things? because there's a lot of change that needs to happen. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, since we're unpacking representation in travel media, I think there's a couple of things we should note before we dig a little bit deeper. I think it's important to emphasize first that this problem of representation is not unique to travel. It's everywhere. We see it in entertainment, film, television, in food media, in political media. We see it literally everywhere. So this conversation that we're having is like quite applicable to other forms of media as well. I think it's also important to say that we are coming at this issue from a Western media perspective. And it's also important to say that we are both white and we really, we cannot speak to the experiences of BIPOC. So this conversation is really like coming through the lens of like Zach's identity and my own identity. So just keep that in mind as you listen. So let's start by talking a bit about what representation means, um, representation in the media. I would say that media representation describes how media, such as television, film, books, or social media, portrays certain types of people or communities. And I think the reason it's an issue is that there's a number of groups who are underrepresented in most Western media. So these groups include, like we've said, um, women, people from the queer community, BIPOC, people with a range of body shapes and types, people of non-Christian religions, and differently abled people. And there's definitely been a steady increase of diversity in media, but progress has been very long and very slow. So we definitely need to keep working at it. Zach, could you talk a bit about how a lack of representation in media impacts marginalized people and communities? Yeah, of course. It's it's a, a big picture thing and a little picture thing. And I, I want to preface this by saying this is kind of my interpretation of it. So, you know, coming at it from, from my perspective as a queer person who also happens to be a white cis dude. But I, I think we have to look at it through 
a couple of lenses. How, how does it affect individual travelers and communities of travelers themselves? But also, how does that lack of representation affect individuals and communities that we travel to? There's lots of, and, and Aaron, I know you were anxious about <laughs> fitting all of this in. So, uh, and I think this is a big part of it, right? Is yeah. there's lots of ways to look at this. So if we look little picture, if if I use myself as a queer person, you know, I can remember when I would research travel, um, especially when I was younger, a couple of things really struck me. The first thing, anytime I ever looked uh, looked at traveling, was planning to travel, all I could read about was how it was dangerous to travel as a gay person or as a queer person. And so the narrative I had of traveling was that it was always going to be a little dangerous. And, you know, that's important to know because that's true in many ways. But that was the first thing. And I think that's because a lot of what I was reading was written by not queer people. You know, it's, of course it's dangerous, but there's other things. There's more that there's more to it than that. And queer is a culture. It's got a history and it's not really touched on that representation isn't there. So you get messages with that. You get messages that that history is maybe not valid or that it's, you know, not part of the hegemony. You know what I mean? It's, 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 it goes pretty deep. So that's a little picture of how you see yourself. And then there's the little picture of how you see the communities you travel to. So it's kind of a double-edged sword represented representation of queer people in travel because it can lead to the belief. And Aaron, we talked about this. We've talked about this a lot, actually, is when you have a conversation about traveling as a queer person, you get the impression that these places are dangerous. And then it makes you not want to go there a lot of time. And that's actually bad for queer people in those places. So queer people can often be scapegoated if, if people decide to boycott, for example, my presence could be a positive one, even if it might be a little bit dangerous and you know, it's a place I want to see. So that's a really, that's a really big part of it is what does it make you think of the places where other queer people live? The other side too is, you know, me as I am, I don't know if we're allowed to mention any specific travel shows on here, but I'm sure people can Google them. <laughs> yes, we um, can mention them. We're I allowed. Think okay. So <laughs> I went, okay, perfect. Thanks. I loved pilot guides, which I think was produced by lonely planet when I was younger, obsessed with it. It was, you know, overwhelmingly hosted by people who look like me. And the whole premise of these shows was to show off something or get the inside scoop on something, which was often like going into a conflict region. Um, and they're treated like royalty. And it was because largely because they're white, especially the guys. And, and maybe I'll touch on this later as well. Um, but in, in all of these cases, everybody's taking something. They're taking an experience. They're taking a thing. And I'm, I'm admitting to this. I grew up to this wanting to be my travel experience. I wanted to go and take things, not steal things, but go and take an experience that maybe I could get above somebody else or, or, you know, um, certain things. So, I think the lack of representation affects that a lot is, is that type of thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think what you're saying is like, it shapes the way that we travel in a way, like it directly impacts how we view travel, how we, I don't want to say like perform travel, but it, it shapes the way that we travel. I don't know. That's like a very basic way of saying it, but totally. it does. Totally. And, and it makes it about you. And I think that's a problem. So then those are just little, little picture things. If we look at big picture things, 
us three especially believe that travel can change us it can change the world there's the concept of of what people in the the world of psychology like to call minority stress and that's not in the you know the pejorative term of of describing somebody who's not white that's you know somebody who's not part of the majority it's got two things two kind of branches to it one is called distal stress and that's the external things that cause you stress so those are things the isms right racism homophobia all the things you mentioned which does have an impact on people negative impact and you already you kind of nailed it already you said these things come through in what we consume including lack of representation so that plays out for sure and then proximal minority stress is when those things become internalized so you know you've heard of internalized homophobia i'm sure and that's when you start to hide yourself you become ashamed of yourself because you you aren't part of the majority and that that introduces a whole host of other problems too and so i think the whole issue of this is a big picture thing but i do think that lack of representation in travel especially does feed into that for sure yeah and one thing i'll add is like and you've you've motioned towards this really well i think like the media that we consume establishes our social norms it establishes our identity it can impact our health it can impact our general well-being and it also like impacts the perceptions of what you yourself can do or achieve in life there have been i should have looked one up but there's literally been studies where they've proven like when you start to see more women in politics the interest in politics in young women like in school flies up like it shoots up because women see themselves in those positions and then it's much easier to like think oh i can do that this is just like anecdote but i definitely when i was younger did not feel like i could travel as a lone woman partly because i did not see other women doing that until i got older so i think yeah it's important to say like the way that we portray people in the media sets a norm and then that results in the bias and the discrimination that we tend to see and experience throughout life. I I for sure think that plays into it and I think too if we're talking about queer people you it's not like with race you can you can sense it. You can see it with your eyes, you know. But with with queerness it's not necessarily something that's overt right away and people don't have to tell you you know like you don't have you don't have to you're it's, you're under no obligation to tell everyone your sexuality or gender identity and so um there's that level to it as well what you see is is only from people who are out in public with it so what you see in the media travel media as well uh for queer people is from queer people who are out and confident Yeah, that adds like an interesting layer to it because in a way like you get to decide how much of your identity you're sharing with the world and like other people. Yep. And and if we're talking about that proximal stress, that feeds into it too, right? Like a lot of people will grow up hiding this type of thing. Right. Because yeah. the media feeds into it. Okay, so we've talked about how lack of representation is bad. <laughs> But let's talk about the opposite. <laughs> What happens when we see really balanced representation in the media? So like how can more representation, more diversity and inclusivity benefit these communities? So you can speak from your own experience or just in general like about marginalized communities. There was um I'm going to use an example of a a documentary I just watched and 
It was about um, trans representation in film and in media and how it affects culture. And I think it artfully touched on two things that happen when we consume media that's balanced and honest and, and most importantly from the source. That's the thing too, right? A lot of media we consume is, <laughs> to use your terms, Aaron, the patriarchy. It's it's their idea of what they want us to see, right? It's not from the source. And so the first thing when when you have good representation is that it cultivates empathy and understanding within the audience when they see the real thing. And when it's, you know, and when this information comes from the real thing, it's powerful when it's real and authentic. And the other thing too is when there is a lot of this type of representation, that empathy and understanding actually gets extended beyond the medium and it can actually extend to the community at large. So film's a great example of this. Like when you see a trans actor playing an authentic trans role, the empathy extends beyond the role to the human. And that was touched on in the film really well. And I think that's the case with media as well in travel is when you see the real thing, you understand their experience while traveling, or you understand the experience of trans people where you're traveling. It actually helps cultivate a sense of empathy. And that is really important because if we interpolate that into travel media, you know, it's, it's more than visibility. It's like a, it's like a change in culture. We're looking for a change in culture, an important one. Yeah. And just to build off that a little bit, like going back to this idea of norms, I think when we start to see more diversity on screen, whether that's travel media or film or television, like any format, it sets like this new precedence for what the norm is. It's basically saying diversity is the norm. And I think that's super important because when you only see white, straight people on screen, that's telling you that like that is the default normal. And by being more inclusive and diverse on screen, it sets, it changes that. It says, no, like diversity is normal. And that's really important for constructing like people who are able to like live without bias and live without stereotypes. One little um, quote I want to drop is from Marty San Diego. We had her on the podcast um, last year and she was talking about black representation and travel and she is a diversity and travel consultant. And she literally has the numbers to prove the power of representation. Um, she reports on her site that multicultural travelers are 70% more likely to go where they see themselves or another person of color reflected. Um, so there are plenty of resources out there about representation in media generally. And we're going to leave some of those in the show notes in case you want to dig into that. But um, since we're focusing on travel, we're going to look specifically at travel media now. And I'm going to start with like a little exercise I did. I did a quick Google for the best travel television shows. And guess what the top hit was? I have no idea. Okay, you don't have to guess. I'll just tell you. <laughs> You're like frantically typing yeah, into like, Google yeah. right now. <laughs> Can you hear it? <laughs> I have to get it right. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, it was from Indie Travel. It was published on March 30th, 2020. And the article summarizes seven travel shows, which are allegedly the best. And of those seven shows, all of the hosts are men. I'm not going to speculate on their sexual identities, of course. Only one of those men is BIPOC. So this is anecdotal, but 
like based on this one article that I'm using as an example, it kind of like is a sample of the larger problem. It's like, okay, you can't even find a list with like one woman or more than 50% BIPOC compared to white people. So when you think about the travel media you've enjoyed throughout your life, and we've, we've touched on this a little bit, but how would you say like anecdotally it does in terms of representation? Have you found anything like beyond just white het dudes on screen? Um, thinking of my experience, you know, growing up as, as somebody who eventually realized he was queer, I noticed a duality. Primarily, you had white men or women representing travelers. And white men, like I said before, they kind of got to wander around and make friends with everyone, you know, venture into conflict regions unscathed. And so when I would watch those, it would be like a, almost like a celebration of travel. That's how I, you know, imagine in my head, it was like, oh, this is like what happens when you travel with no barriers. And that's not the truth for everyone because you would have that, you know, you juxtapose that against the women's experience and pilot guides was really good at this. Actually, they had, they would have a few female hosts who would travel. And I always noticed that their experience seemed to deal a lot with, with struggle, the struggle of traveling as a woman, you know, like they had to be very aware of what they were wearing. So a lot of what the show was about was about what they had to wear or, what time it was. So they weren't out too late or they didn't have the same type of big bombastic welcomes that, you know, the other men, male hosts had. And so that duality played out because it made me, it made me think, oh, I can travel without barriers. And that's also not good representation because it's not, you know, it's, we all have barriers, but also it's a reflection of the cultures there. And it's a reflection of really the, the pervasiveness of what's permissible based on what, on what you look like. You're describing this makes me think a lot of my relationship with the show Parts Unknown by Anthony Bourdain. He is like the god of travel shows And while I have always loved that show, and I love Anthony Bourdain, I remember watching it and thinking like, that is not how I'll ever get to travel. Like I would watch it and just think, I wish that I could have that experience that he's having. And it always felt like such a blind spot because like, I particularly think about his episodes that take place in India, and he was so carefree and stress-free the entire time. And I would just compare that to like my experience traveling India, which was fabulous and incredible. And I love it. And I want to go back, but it was also hard. Like there were, there were days that were very difficult and that was never portrayed. So it always felt like the show, I couldn't relate to it because it didn't represent like my experience. And I'm pretty sure that that was like, because he was a man. I, I fully amplify that a million percent. And I think too, kind of dovetailing with that is it it shows this idea that you can do what you want when you travel, that you don't have to be responsible for certain things. You, you know, you kind of get, it's, it's like, you know, the world is your oyster. The world's not your friggin' oyster. And I think that, you know, having this, this homogenous representation in travel feeds into that. So one show that I want to mention that I was obsessed with was called State of Undress. It's from Vice TV. 
and it has Haley Gates um, as the host. And she explores, like, that's the thing. It's not real. like, I think of it as a travel show, but I don't know that it really is. Like, it explores global fashion and issues the industry often ignores, but, like, in a really interesting way, like, through the lens of culture and history and politics. And I don't know, like, I thought of it as a travel show because I just, like, loved all the places she went in it. But it was kind of, like, interesting to me because... Here was a show that felt like a travel show to me, but she was dealing with like much heavier topics. Like it wasn't, it wasn't a light show. And I have felt this conflict throughout my life. Like for background, I went to grad school and I studied cinema and media studies. And an observation I had was that all of the women in my class, there were 11 of us, five women, all of us studied things that had to do with representation in cinema. And all the men in the class just went off and like studied like whatever niche subject they were interested in. But none of them were concerned about representation. And it, it leads me to this like feeling that like if you're part of a marginalized group of any type, there's always this pressure on you to like constantly be exploring that marginalization in everything that you do and especially in media. And that's kind of the sense I got from this show. It was like, why can't a woman just have like a really carefree travel show? Yeah. Part of me is like, yeah, that would be amazing. But another part of me is like, you know, maybe that doesn't exist. I don't think that carefree travel should exist. I think you have to be aware of how you impact where you go and how you impact the world as you do it. Maybe that's one of the big, I don't know, maybe dangers is too strong of a word, but maybe, you know, one of the things we have to consider is when you do have a lot of people with a lot of privilege showing their travel experiences, it leads people to think that it's possible and that it's good. And I don't think that's the case. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Okay, so I wanted to touch on some numbers because, you know, I love to research. And interestingly, I was telling Katie in writing this episode, I was like, I'm really having trouble finding reports or statistics about representation in travel media, which is funny because I was like, I don't want to just share all anecdote. Like, it'd be good to share some actual numbers. Hard to find, but thankfully, Marty Sandiego has us covered. So I mentioned her before. She came on the show last uh, season. We've linked that show in the show notes. And she's a diversity in travel consultant. And every year she puts together a diversity in travel report card. Um, so she conducts an in-depth look at 55 of the world's most prominent travel brands. These are the brands that are profiting the most from travelers, and they have a lot of exposure globally. And through her research, she provides a score in a variety of categories. So for example, she'll talk about representation in ads and in influencer trips. And I really love her reports because she distills the numbers and the data and the research into a very accessible format. Um, so she gives like lots of helpful insights about how the report compares to the previous year. Um, she hasn't published her 2020 report yet. So we're going to just talk a little bit about her 2019 report. We'll just talk about a couple parts, but if you want to see the full report, we'll put it in the show notes. Okay, so Zach, want to tell us what her 2019 findings were? Yes. Um, so when it comes to diversity in ads and promotion in 2019, it earned a D plus. And that means that travel brands and tourism boards did not meet standards for displaying tourists of all races, ages, sexual identities, body types, etc. in their marketing media. Also, a D-plus for diversity in social media, 
which means that travel brands and tourism boards did not meet standards for displaying tourists of all uh, races, ages, sexual identities, body types, and their social media either. Uh, And Marty also noted that um, at least for ads and promotion in media and social media, there was a slight improvement in 2019 versus the year prior, um, but traditional media didn't show any improvement. And it was a D in 2018 and in 2019. The worst grade, and this does not surprise me in the least, the worst grade uh, goes to diversity and inclusion in influencer trips, which were both graded in an F, which is a fail. And I think that's a big one is, is influencers are now becoming part of this representation. And, and that's a big problem to me. Yeah, it's a massive problem because I think like nowadays, especially there's been a big shift from traditional media, which is like kind of the formats we've been talking about, like Anthony Bourdain, that was like more of a traditional travel show. Now it's like really shifted to social media and social media is where people turn for their travel information and their inspiration. The issue now is that we are not seeing representation there. It seems like people are very... People are more aware of the lack of representation in like traditional media, but we now need to like shift that conversation to apply to social media as well. I totally, I agree with you. And and I think with that too, on, on social media, beauty standards play a big role in who's an influencer. And for example, when you and I were discussing this episode, I wanted to just take a look around social media to see, you know, this is also anecdotal, but, but it, it definitely means something to me. If you look at hashtags or look at a lot of influencers, especially in the the gay and queer community, if you look up, you know, gay travel on Instagram, most of the time you will see a lot of really jacked white dudes on a beach and that's erasing a whole lot of people. And I think a lot of, a lot of what we see on social media is, is that it's, it's, you know, beauty standards. Yeah. And I mean, this one's a tough one because like, I think a lot of it is out of our control. Like there's a lot of like corporate companies that are in control of this, that are leading the campaigns, reaching out to these influencers. And so unfortunately, like we need to see those companies addressing this head on um, in a multitude of ways. If we talk about it, like in the consumer context, like as consumers of social media, we can also start demanding more diversity. So we'll talk about how we can do that later. But it is really important to say like, no, we need to be putting pressure on um, these companies to make changes. Mm -hmm. And I, I think the great thing about one of the great things, or beneficial things about social media is, you know, in many ways, you can make you can make a difference by what you consume. As a consumer, make an effort to support a variety of diverse, diverse amount of, of influencers, because there are so many out there. And if you do a quick search, it doesn't look like it. It's there. If you look for it. It's funny because like literally the fact that when you search that hashtag, it's only these like ripped white dudes that show up. It's like, that is not reality. Like it is not reflecting reality. Like it's so problematic. Yeah. It's, it's a, like a, it's a many edged sword because, you know, then you, then you get into, into concepts like body image and even ableism, sizeism, all of those things. And I think like what I find especially ironic about it is that it's like this media is all so white and heterocentric, but it is not 
like these companies, there actually is a vested interest in them diversifying because there is money to be made from these communities. I was reading like the annual spending habits of African-American travelers is $50 billion. If you market to this community, there's money there for you. It's good for business. Like that's that's where you just know, like this is just systemic racism at work and like systemic homophobia and it's just people's biases like working yeah so marty's findings obviously are really really bad one thing i wanted to ask you about zach was the d plus in diversity in social media not meeting standards for displaying tourists of all like different types like displaying that word to me is funny because it's like what does it mean to display someone and if if we're talking about queer travelers like it doesn't always have to be so obvious like sometimes it might be invisible that you're queer like by choice or not by choice so how do we get around like that seems like a, a point of tension in representation for me what do you I, think I definitely see the tension too because coming out or, or to be queer doesn't necessitate coming out. Like it's not a, it, you don't have to make yourself visible to be a queer person. So the, you know, the underbelly of that is the people who are most confident with coming out and who are most well represented elsewhere are the ones who get depicted in this stuff. You may, you may see a lot of gay men, for example, in social media, but, and that will be, that will be the representation for queer people, but you won't see people who are asexual or two-spirited you know what i mean so i think for me the way i look at it is it's it's important for people like me who do have visibility in the queer community gay white men like i said they're 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 seen everywhere where you see that representation i think it's important that we really critically look at the stuff and say how can we put pressure on the places that need it to show more representation and how do we consume that it's a, it's tricky because you don't you don't want to say in order to be represented you have to have first disclosed your identity um, but at the same time that represent, representation still has to be there and like one thing you were mentioning to me earlier is about how like there's also this issue of pinkwashing. Can you talk a bit about how that factors into Yeah, this? so so I'm, I probably mentioned this previously in one of the many podcasts I've joined you for. <laughs> pinkwashing is really a problem for me. I got a little upset about it when I talked about it last time. That's warranted. It is. I think it is warranted. And there's many different ways that queer people are depicted. Like I said, it revolves mostly around white straight guys. Danger I mentioned... I mentioned partying, hookup culture, which of course is is great. I'm I'm very sex positive, very body positive, and I think that's good. But I think that 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 notion that that especially gay travelers like to do that it makes a lot of people clamor for what we call pink money. Especially gay people with privilege, they they make money. A lot of them don't have kids. A lot of them have pretty um, lucrative jobs and and great lifestyles which many generations of queer people have fought for them to have, but they clamor for pink money. So they try to make themselves look these, these organizations, you can say, you can say media organizations, travel companies, cruise ship companies. Uh, and what they do is they pink wash things. And so for example, you will have certain travel companies that may employ queer people 
in other countries who don't treat them well as employees saying, come to this gay friendly place or come to this, come on this gay friendly cruise, but we treat our queer employees like garbage. That's pinkwashing. And I think that's why off the top, I said, it's important to look at it from yourself as, as a queer traveler, but also how are the queer people in the places you're traveling to being treated or being erased in a lot of ways, you know, underpaying people, working conditions, it it goes pretty deep. And I think this is kind of like the, the pendulum of, of representation is if you have, you, you realize that representing people in this case, gay men representing the well means they'll spend their money, but then you have to make yourself look like you're gay friendly. And now there's a lot of people who look like it, but they don't necessarily, not people, but, but, you know, businesses, organizations look like they are, but they don't act like they are. Especially for me, that's something that I really pay attention to when I travel is I've looked, how does the airline treat their employees? Because chances are a lot of them are queer. How does, you know, this hotel chain, for example, treat their employees in the countries that they operate? Because that's important because they will clamor for my money and look like they're friendly, but are they? You know, this is something that Marty talked about. She was like, you can't just look like we're looking at the media. That's the stuff that faces us that we can see and that we can analyze. But she was saying like, as an influencer herself, the thing that she's always looking for is not just representation in the media that she can see coming from a company or an airline. She's like, I'm asking them, who have you hired? Who's on your team? Who's running your marketing department? If there's no diversity there, like, you know, it's all just a show. Like you can be very performative when it comes to representation. And I think that kind of like taps into this pinkwashing issue. Like you get into performative territory. Yes. And, and we can say diversity is good for business and it is in two ways. It's good if it looks diverse, but it's also good for business. And I hope this becomes a thing. It's good for business to treat people ethically and it's worth it to invest your travel money ethically. Yeah. So this is a good time then to dig into how we can promote this kind of change that we're talking about in travel media and how we can actually encourage equity as travelers ourselves. I mentioned before, like we have to remember the onus is also very much so on these large global companies and these tourism boards. They need to do the work to hire inclusively and to create media that is diverse and inclusive. Um, But we do have a bit of power as travelers and consumers to push for that change. And I think Naomi Gravenberg, who came on the show to talk about diversified van life, did a really good job of explaining this. She was like, we are beyond allyship. We need to be co-conspirators to our peers who are part of marginalized groups and communities. And that was Naomi saying to us, like, especially in the context of like white people supporting BIPOC travelers, it's about more than just like saying you're an ally and sharing some things on Instagram. It's about like becoming a co-conspirator, someone who is actively working at all times in every area of their life to promote this kind of change. So yeah, we all need to put full effort into supporting the companies and the tours and the tourism boards that are doing a good job. Our money speaks volumes. Here's an example. Like if you're booking a group tour, look into that company, look at the media they share, look at how diverse their staff are. If you can't find that online, you can just email them and straight up ask them. And you can also show support on social media. 
take 15 minutes to decolonize your social media following. Just review everyone you are following. And if you aren't already, diversify who you follow. Follow BIPOC, queer, female-identifying, differently-abled creators. And then the key to this, I think, which is what a lot of people forget, is how important it is to actually engage. Leaving a social media comment or sharing something or saving a post or just liking a post drives up engagement for that person. So we were talking about how like influencers, for example, got an F. This is something we can really do like just as travelers, like just engage with diverse creators because that will change that F. So those are some of my thoughts. What about you, Zach? I echo that. I I say go directly to the source. It's out there. The information is out there. People are doing the labor to educate on their experiences and it's up to us to, to be receptive to that. And I think the messaging we get about travel and about the places that we travel to, it's filtered through a really like global north, white, exotifying lens. And I think that erases and it misrepresents a lot of people. And and also it erases a lot of the wonderful things that the world has to offer. That's why I keep saying the world's not your oyster, right? It's not, it's not yours. It's, it's everyone's. And so that means there's so many things to experience outside of your own awareness that you don't even know about and that you're missing out on because of your own bias or, you know, your own sense of comfort. So, you know, when we look at Aaron, you and I, how we're marketed to as white people, uh, it caters to our selfish side. What do you, what do you want out of it? You know what I mean? What, what experience do, what do you want to check off your bucket list specifically for you? And you and I both know it never goes like that. And I think I've been thinking of examples of this in my own life. And I think Africa is a really great example. Travel media tells me I can, you know, I can go wherever I want. I can rack up points to use, to fly to certain places. It's cheap to go here right now. Um, So why wait? Do it right away. You only live once. And I've not been to sub-Saharan Africa and I, I would love to go one day, but before I do, I, I do think I have to do more work on my own biases. I need to develop a more robust awareness of uh, how my presence might impact where I travel. And I really need to understand how colonialism kind of bears out through travel because it truly, that's originally what it was, you know, like, like that's what travel is, is it's, it's Europeans showing off the fact that they can go all over the world. So that still plays out. And so for me, I hope I'm on the right track. I think it's really important to take a step back and say, I'm being told I can do this based on what representation I see, but should I, am I ready for it? And I think a lot of people aren't. And I think a lot of people uh, have a lot of unlearning to do. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and as you say, there's colonial undertones to travel. And that's something that is easy for us not to recognize because when you benefit from a system like colonialism, that means you have benefited. So why would you recognize it? And so, as you say, it takes a lot of work to actually go in, assess yourself, assess the society you've grown up in, the biases you've grown up having. It's real work to under undo that. And I think your point about doing that work before traveling, especially to a place like Africa, where this really does have like impact on people every single day, that's something all of us need to do more of. Yeah, for sure. And I think it involves a a willingness and an acceptance 
to feeling discomfort. It's, it can be uncomfortable to shed that narrative. You know, I've always wanted to do this. I've always wanted to, you know, go on a safari in Africa and take pictures with all the children there and give them things. That narrative is wrong. That is a raw, to me, that is a wrong narrative. It shouldn't be about that. It's not about you. And that has an impact on people. And we're never taught about that through what we see. So you got to let go of what you think travel is and should be and listen to the people that it affects the most. That's essentially what unlearning is really, in my yeah. opinion, anyways. Yeah, totally. And I just, we have to plug it. No white saviors. Just go follow no white saviors. And I mean, I told them when I interviewed them, like I, especially when I first came across their page, I was uncomfortable because it is uncomfortable to learn these things about yourself when you have not ever had to confront it. I mean, I can even admit, like when I was younger, I thought that volunteerism was really cool. And I wanted to do that because I wanted the great, warm, fuzzy feeling of volunteering my time. And it's taken many years of thinking and just reading and engaging with uncomfortable ideas to dismantle that belief and to understand why that's a very self-centering experience. And I think it's easy too for people, like if we if we use queer people as an example, you know, queer people going to Africa, look at me, I'm in Africa as a queer person, that's representation. It's not. All right, so bottom line is we need to see more representation and that is something that we can all work towards um, as travelers. All right, Alpaca Pals, so we have linked a bunch of resources in the show notes and we hope you'll... Go and check them out and think a little bit about how you can be a co-conspirator in, yeah, creating change in the travel space by honing in on diversifying your media. If we missed anything, please send us a message. And now I get to ask Zach. Zach, you told me you had a travel story you needed to share. And I, I'm really curious about what it is because we've been in lockdown now for like 12 months. So where, I know. where have you been traveling to? Like your fridge I've, and back to the couch? I've been, yeah, I've been traveling. I've been traveling to um, far places on Google Earth and sending <laughs> links to everyone. Like, let's go here when this is over. Um, my, my travel memory is the most recent one. Me and my friends went to Mexico last year and we just kind of like wandered around. We flew into Mexico City and the pandemic was just becoming a thing. Like it, nobody had nobody had said stay home. It was we thought it was primarily centered in China and they had it contained and no big deal. But as our trip went on was when it's, you know, it spread to Europe and there were talks of closing borders and all of that stuff. And I just remember I was in Mexico City on our last night in Mexico and we were on, We yes, we took one of those topless tour buses. <laughs> uh, we did. And what I love about them is you can put headphones in and learn a lot of really cool stuff. And I just remember sitting there thinking to myself, I'm learning about Mexico City and this is probably going to be the last time I get to do something like this for a while. And I really, I've never actually savored an experience traveling so much like that because I knew it would probably not happen in a long time. And so the, I've learned that and I kind of want to carry that with me as like a, a a feeling, almost like a muscle memory when I'm when I'm in new places or, or places that I really appreciate. This might be the last time I see it for a while. That's really beautiful. Yeah, yeah, wow. it's kind of like the, yeah, it's the, it was kind of like the positive that came out of this, you know? Mm, yeah, made you value the experience in a way you hadn't before. 
I really think like travel is going to be disrupted by this because the whole idea of just like jet setting every other weekend, like that has been so disrupted. Now, I think travel really will like feel like a privilege in a way it hasn't for people of our generation, particularly. Yep. And I think it will be, I think it will be, at least in my case and, and those who are close to me, it is, it's not just, um, you know, let's go somewhere and let some steam off. It's a, uh, let's really look forward to this, make it something that we can really value and put a lot of thought and effort into it because we have the time to. Well, as soon as this pandemic is over and I can travel again, I mean, who knows when that'll be, but I am going to sob. I guarantee it. Are you kidding me? <laughs> the, the the minute I have to strap my six and a half foot tall body into an economy seat, I will yeah. weep and it will be happy tears. <laughs> oh God. I was telling Katie, like I've been on TikTok lately and people are sharing videos of them like getting their vaccine. And I don't know, like I'm in such an emotional state lately. I Every time I see one of them, I just start to fall. <laughs> Because I'm like, it's going to be so beautiful, like getting that needle in my arm. I cannot wait. Yeah, I, I'm totally with you. Okay, Zach, where can people find you? Oh, okay. You want me to promote myself? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, you can find me. You can find me on Instagram. Uh, it's at Z underscore A underscore C. Z, Z, E, D underscore E, H underscore S, E, E. I should probably change that. That's pretty much it. I'm not really much else unless you want to hit me up on LinkedIn. I'll hit you up on LinkedIn. Yeah, do it. <laughs> I think I already did. Uh, you, you we're friends. All right. Alpaca My Bags is written and hosted by me, Aaron Hines, and produced by the wonderful Katie Lore. And, you know, we have talked in this episode a lot about what we think representation could or should look like. But, I mean, if there's anything I think we've decided on in this episode, it's that this is a really nuanced and difficult topic because, yeah, no one really knows what great representation looks like. We're still working on finding that answer. Um, So if you have thoughts on it, please, Alpaca Pals, join our Facebook group and let us know your thoughts. Um, You can also interact with us on Instagram, send us a DM, send us an email. Yeah. All right, pals. So if you enjoyed this episode, you can go ahead and leave a review on your podcast app or you can show us your love on Patreon. Pledging $5 a month or more directly supports the making of this show. The link to our Patreon is in the show notes. And that's all for now. I'll talk to you again in two weeks, and I hope you all get to alpaca your bags safely and soon. Bye.